And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Friday, August 5th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. Digging into the upcoming weekend waiver wire targets around fantasy baseball, not surprisingly, after a very busy week of activity with the MLB trade deadline, with a big prospect promotion, there are a ton of players to discuss, so we are going to get right after it. Al, let's start with one of the most interesting hitters available in many leagues going into this weekend. The Dodgers brought up Miguel Vargas. Looking at his playing time at AAA, he mostly played third base this season, 69 games there, 12 games in left field, uh, seven games in at second base, and I think three games over at first base. The Dodgers right now are without Chris Taylor. He should be back relatively soon, so that probably adds one more complicating factor to the equation. So how long do you expect Vargas to stay with the Dodgers and have a prominent role, and how much does that shape your willingness to aggressively pursue him this weekend? I, I have a feeling Vargas is not going to be up for long. And I and I feel a little bit silly because when Vargas was called up, I went on to Twitter and said, I don't think they're bringing Vargas up just to sit, which I guess is a little bit different question than how long will he be up. But uh, given, you know, it, it's a pretty tight roster as it is without Chris Taylor and without Justin Turner on the active roster. Uh, Taylor, as you mentioned, should be back soon, could be back. Friday or Saturday uh, could be back, be back very, very soon. And Turner could be back by, uh, I think, either Tuesday or Wednesday next week. With one or certainly both of them back, I don't. I just don't see where the room is for Vargas. It would mean basically giving up on Max Muncy as a regular, uh, Joey Gallo not getting regular playing time. And I, I just think that that is a less likely scenario than Vargas being sent back down. Yeah, I think we may get some of the clarity we're looking for between now and, and Sunday night. But if we don't, you do have to keep the impending return of Justin Turner on your mind, too, because that could be the move that eventually bumps Miguel Vargas uh, back to AAA, potentially. Uh, a lot could depend on how much he hits, too. I think Muncy's struggles have at least left the door open for Vargas to hit enough to make a case. But I think a lot has to go right for him to stick here on out for the rest of the season. So really interesting player, just a very difficult situation to try and read into right now. Uh, One familiar face is back. Gene Segura has returned for the Phillies. He's been activated from the IL, should play a ton. And I think the way things are falling into place there uh, with Didi Gregorius being DFA'd earlier this week, Bryson Stock can play shortstop every day too. So you're not looking at a young player pushing Segura for occasional playing time. I think Segura goes right back to the same kind of value he had pre-injury where he's a great middle infielder in your more shallow mixed leagues and a very nice pickup mid-season in deeper mixed leagues where he was dropped. Yeah, he's uh, he was dropped in quite a few leagues, so uh, you, I don't think you'll be able to get him in deeper leagues, but 12-teamers, maybe even 10-teamers, but certainly 12-teamers, if Segura is out there, he does need to be picked up this weekend. 
And just uh, it's, it's the same profile that he's had pretty much throughout his career. I mean, not a lot of power, not a huge stolen base contributor, but somebody who could be a literal across the board contributor in an important way. So uh, he might fall a little bit under the radar because he's really good in a bunch of categories instead of outstanding in one or two. But uh, yeah, he's he's certainly a must add. And and I'm glad to see that Bryson Stock can still play regularly too. Uh, I saw uh, looking at leaderboards DVR in the second half, uh, Stott leads all qualifiers with the lowest whiff rate. He's got a whiff rate below 2%. I know it's not a huge number of games or played appearances, but still pretty impressive. Yeah, it is really impressive. I didn't realize he was thriving at quite that level. I know he played a lot better. We talked about him uh, maybe a week or so ago, at least getting to the power a bit more consistently. And Bryson Stott has showed good plate skills too. I think that's been the other big step forward for him so far this season, just in terms of the strikeout and walk rates overall also being a lot better. Not surprising if the whiff rate is as good as it is, the strikeout rate would also be improved. Uh, Ledmiz Diaz made the cut for the waiver column, I believe, this week. You put him on the rundown at least, and he's playing all over the place for Houston, and that's giving him close to an everyday role, even though he doesn't have a spot to call his own I'm just wondering where you're drawing the line in terms of how usable he actually is. The versatility is great, but do you think there's like a notch below someone like or between Segura and Ledmiz Diaz, just given the lack of one spot for Diaz? Yeah, the playing time will, I think, be a little less consistent for Diaz. Although I, I've been kind of holding out on writing him up in the column because I just keep on thinking that the playing time is going to dry up. But it, it, pretty much ever since Michael Brantley has been on the IL, he's been playing almost every day. So I think that that will continue. Uh, so certainly behind Segura in terms of regularity of play, but not that far behind uh, you mentioned the versatility that translates into him being eligible at all four infield spots and outfield, I think on all three of the major platforms. And the thing that I would add to this, I think the you know, kind of the bonus that led me to writing up Diaz this week is that uh, since the all-star break, and this is, uh, this must've been where I saw the Bryson Stott stat, uh, Diaz has a 7.8% strikeout rate. Uh, since the break uh, to go with three home runs. I mean, the the power is something that he does provide pretty regularly, not massive power, but enough to help. But the fact that he's cut that whiff rate down, the strikeout rate is down. He's batting 319 uh, since the break because of those reduced strikeouts. He's, uh, you know, somebody who can help with batting average and a, a little bit with uh, power and run production as well. We got a little bit of breaking news that I just saw scroll by on one of my screens. Fabian Ardaya covers the Dodgers for The Athletic. Uh, he tweeted that Dave Roberts, during an interview earlier in the day on Friday, said Chris Taylor will come off the IL and play second base on Friday night. So uh, that's pretty interesting because it's his first game in the infield in the majors this season. It's James Outman who was sent back down in the corresponding move. So for now, Vargas stays on the roster Still a question as to just how much Miguel Vargas will play, as we were discussing earlier, but we have that update now on Chris Taylor. And if Taylor was dropping these shallow mixed leagues, he's obviously worth a pickup, one of the better available bats, just given all the things he brings to the table and his own versatility. Uh, some other names that I think are pretty interesting, Jose Siri, a former Astro, now a member of the Tampa Bay Rays. Obviously, the Rays have probably in the minds of most people, giving themselves the benefit of the doubt. They go out and get a player and start giving them a lot of playing time. There was probably a reason for that. The main reason might have been defense. I think Jose Siri was probably the best available defensive center fielder at the trade deadline this year. 
can they fix him as a hitter? Can they improve him as a hitter? Because when you look at the big league numbers for Jose Siri so far, we're talking about a player who's only had about 200 big league plate appearances. He's showing some power. He's 10 for 12 as a base dealer, but he's striking out 34.8% of the time, swinging at pitches outside the zone more than 40% of the time, and only has a 208, 261, 375 slash line so far. Playing time is good, but you can't take really bad production in mass. So are you willing to speculate on Siri anywhere as someone the Rays might be able to to tweak a little bit at the plate? Not a lot. Not a lot. Um, the, the thing is, in some leagues, I'm, I'm a little low on fab. So uh, if I can get a, a bid through on, on him and maybe get a little bit of, of stolen base help, uh, I, you know, I think that's where the appeal lies. But definitely not somebody that I would make more than, you know, like a dollar or two dollar bid on uh, i don't don't think that he will merit more than that how does siri stack up to jared kelnick who's back up right now for seattle just in terms of short-term appeal obviously the age difference is a big factor if you're looking at these players long term but siri's already 27 kelnick much younger than that julio rodriguez on the il right now he should be back soon they're playing kyle lewis a lot ty france has been banged up is this a case where kelnick can actually hit and create a role for himself down the stretch or do you think he's more of a wait and see for mixed league purposes right now at this point i think you gotta view kelnick as as wait and see just because uh, you know every time we think he's you know he's ready to bust out other than uh, i believe it was late last season uh where he did turn things around a bit in the final weeks but I, I do remain a bit skeptical. I, I think in the long term, I mean, he, he's still, I think, going to be a viable player in 12-team leagues. I just don't know if that time is right now. So when I say wait and see, I wouldn't. I don't think you'll have to make an extraordinary bid to get Kelnick. Uh, I think it's it's worth making some attempt, but I wouldn't want to start him right away. Probably wait a week or two. Yeah, I can't imagine picking up Jared Kelnick right now in a redraft league with fewer than 15 teams. I, I think there's considerable playing time downside, despite maybe a bit of long-term upside that people are starting to write off with him. AAA numbers were good once again from Kelnick as well. Really curious to see what happens to him between now and opening day of 2023. Let's talk about Jorge Mateo. He's got shortstop and outfield eligibility. There's power, there's speed, and Al, you're seeing a recent trend of just better contact too. Yeah, yeah, uh, better contact, uh, more contact, a combination that you like to see. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase myself in terms of what I wrote in the column because I don't remember exactly how I put it. But uh, the idea that Mateo's always had this uh, stolen base appeal, especially since he's filled a regular role for the Orioles all all year long. So you figure he's going to chip away at those steals. But it's always this dilemma of okay, in a deep league. You could just plug Mateo in for that that one category. But is there any appeal beyond that? I think with what we have seen from Mateo for nearly four weeks now is not not a small, but like a, a, a radical improvement, uh, both in terms of the amount of contact that he's making and the 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 amount of, of uh, power, that raw power that he's sitting with. Um, so big uptick in average exit velocity and flies and liners. It is a small sample, but I think when you see a big change like that, and especially when you see two big changes, not again, not just the raw power, but also uh, more frequent contact, that just suggests suggests to me there is a real change that could be going on here, and that for me would be enough 
to, to take a flyer on Mateo in 12 teamers if I really could use the steals. Yeah. Mateo has been an Ian Khan special, I think, all season long. I think Gene McCaffrey was in on Mateo as well. If you go back to July 1st, you just want to take a snapshot, kind of look at the last month or so. Mateo hitting 265 with a 311 OBP, 542 slugging percentage. It's a 135 WRC plus, four homers and seven steals during that span. Yeah, a 24.2% strikeout rate. You can live with that, right? You get the K rate down in the 25% range. It doesn't matter if you don't walk a ton, as long as you're making hard contact and, and doing good things in the base paths, which Mateo has done. I didn't think we'd reach this point, but I would say he is becoming Shadow League relevant if he wasn't already, just because speed is so hard to find and the playing time doesn't appear to be going anywhere anytime soon for Mateo. Another infielder to throw at everybody, Donovan Solano. Looks like he's also going to get a little uptick in playing time because of the way uh, the Reds cleared out several players at the trade deadline. I have always been limited in my interest to Donovan Solano just because I think it's a lot of batting average and not much else, but the park could make the power play up just a little bit. And I think the counting stats might be good because of the playing time volume. Yeah, you've, you've pretty much made the case that I would make and, and did make in the column this week. And the one thing I would add is about the um, the, the power. It hasn't played up so far. And granted, uh, up until recently, uh, Solano hasn't played a lot. But um, I just drilled down into some of the, uh, the second level stats in terms of uh, exit velocity and flies and liners and fly ball rate. And he has a very similar profile to what Tyler Stevenson has done this year. And Stevenson's produced in the time that he played uh, a lot more power than I think Solano's just had two home runs so far uh, this year. So I just think if if Tyler Stevenson could do that with playing half of his games in Cincinnati, what's to say, say that Solano couldn't have a little power surge over the last couple of months? Yeah, definitely a possibility. Just a good all-round hitter, though. And it's kind of difficult to find good sources of batting average at this time of the season, too. So if you're in a league that's really close in that category, Solano might actually be a pretty good fit, at least a deeper mixed league sort of player. The player in Cincinnati that I've been more interested in, going back probably 10 days or so now, because I could kind of see the path for him opening up as the Reds started making moves, is Jake Fraley. Kind of the opposite profile from a Roto perspective. There's power and speed. There might not be much batting average. Um, as a left-handed bat, there's a possibility he loses some starts against left-handed pitching. They could play someone like Albert Elmora in those spots. But I think Fraley is definitely on my radar, at least in 15-team mixed leagues right now. Um, kind of a good fallback profile if you're going after Jorge Mateo in leagues where both are available and you want to get a similar kind of player for a slightly smaller bid. Yeah, maybe a, a much smaller bid. But uh, no, I think that, that's a really good analogy. Um, although, as it stands right now, Fraley might really put you at a, a much more of a disadvantage in terms of batting average. But he's available just about everywhere, especially in mixed leagues. So if, if you at least want that power-speed combo, uh, he's worth a bid for sure. Star Platinum is asking if Aristides Aquino will only play against lefties. I think Aquino might play a little more than that. I do think we're at the point, though, with him age-wise. They don't necessarily need to get another look at him. He kind of is what he is. So uh, I think they would prefer to look more at some of the younger options there. I don't know Fraley's not that much younger than Aquino, if he's even younger at all. But he hasn't been in the big leagues quite as long. So... And he hasn't been with the Reds quite as long. I think that's the more important factor here that might lead them to want to get more opportunities for Fraley in the near future. Uh, here's a name that I didn't think about really at all 
this season. Michael Massey taking over in Kansas City when Whit Merrifield got traded to the Blue Jays. It wasn't one of the trades I started to think about from the, well, who plays here perspective, probably as much as I should. And with Merrifield gone, there's an everyday role available. Consider that Massey had great numbers of power and speed, both at AA and AAA this season. Do you think he can make quick adjustments and actually carry some of that over for fantasy managers here down the stretch? I think he thought he could. And yeah, I had the same uh, kind of oversight DVR in terms of not thinking about the situation much, not really paying much attention to Massey. But the fact that he made the jump from AA to AAA this year and did so, you know, not only keeping the skills intact, but actually um, hitting with quite a bit more power after making the jump, uh, that that may bode well for him going, you know, to the ultimate level. So uh, yeah, I, I would say 15 team, he's definitely worth taking a chance on there. And I think part of the playing time crunch there is going to be determined by how much Bobby Witt is playing. He's dealing with a nagging injury. So that right now is taking one of the regulars occasionally out of the mix. And then you have to wonder too, how much will they play someone like Massey over Nicky Lopez? That's the other infielder. That's part of the reason why I wasn't looking very closely at the situation. I just thought it meant Lopez was going to play on a regular basis and that was going to be that, but definitely an interesting name to keep tabs on here, at least through the weekend. Let's talk about Josh Palacios again for just the moment he came up on the show on Thursday because we were starting to look and see who's backfilling for the players that are, are gone. Of course, Luke Voigt is the first baseman now in place of Josh Bell, but it looks like Palacios might get the biggest uptick in playing time as the Nationals fill the playing time void created by Juan Soto. Yeah, I think that uh, that that's quite likely, and I think we talked about this on the the Thursday show that the Nationals have basically seen what they have in Lane Thomas, so why not give Palacio a little Palacios a little bit more run? And the yeah, the the appeal is definitely speed. There, I do have doubts about whether or not he's going to hit enough that he can utilize that speed at the major league level. But we've talked about a number of steel source steals sources already. A lot of the players that we mentioned may not be available in mono leagues or some deeper mixed leagues. And then you've got Palacio there as a as a fallback. Yet another infielder to think about. Seems like a good week to fill middle infield if you've been struggling to cover that spot. Tyler Freeman is up in Cleveland right now. He's had injuries that have cost him a lot of time in the upper levels of the Guardians system. This is a team that was not nearly as active at the trade deadline as they could have been, just given the number of high-quality prospects they've got in that system. And looking at Freeman, I'm not really sure he's going to have a spot to call his own. I think the big change they made, of course, was sending Franmil Reyes down, and you start looking around the position player groups. Maybe they're floating DH enough to where Freeman can carve out a role, but uh, I think he's a little more of a watchlist player for me in mixed redraft leagues right now, even though there is some appeal if he finds a larger role. Yeah, well, he is starting again on Friday. Uh, so that's three games since he's been up, three starts. So that's encouraging. And yeah, given that uh, he's just got this consistent track record of making just loads of contact, uh, another player kind of in the the Solano mold that um, could probably help you in that category. And now that we're looking more at, Category separate from one another. Uh, Freeman's, uh, I think, right in that same wheelhouse, uh, not only in terms of category, but depth of leagues uh, where you would consider him. Wanted to ask you about Seth Beer. It seems like his opportunities are ticking up again in Arizona. Is it mono league only or is there some deep mixed league appeal? For me, mono league. Uh, it, just because 
he had a pretty extended opportunity earlier this year to uh, you know, show us what he could do and wasn't really something that would, would make him uh, make him viable for, for my starting lineups in 15 teams. I just don't think he would crack it, uh, crack the starting lineup very often. So don't think I'm really going to pursue him there now that he's getting another opportunity. Yeah, it's kind of been my stance on Seth Beer, but good enough to get some playing time in those mono league formats. We talked about the J.D. Davis trade just a bit on the episode for Thursday, and I'm interested in him in deep mixed leagues. I think he sort of fits into this conversation, at least for 15-team leagues. Third base has been a bit of a trouble spot all season. We talked about Miguel Vargas up top. He, of course, is eligible at third base, but I think Davis has an even clearer path to playing time. I think Evan Longoria's eventual return from the I.L. on the surface might look like a complicating factor, they're using Yermin Mercedes a lot as a DH right now. I think there's actually more long-term appeal in Davis's profile than there is in Yermin Mercedes' profile. So I think if Davis hits, he sticks even after Longoria is healthy. As much as any hitter does in the Giants lineup, uh, nobody's really safe from being used in a, a like a utility type role or a platoon. So uh, that's probably my biggest worry about Davis, aside from the fact uh, that it just remains to be seen whether or not he can make the sorts of changes that you and I talked about earlier this week uh, for him to strike out a lot less, to parlay some of the raw power into uh, you know, in-game uh, power uh, output. So there's a lot of question marks there for Davis, but you know you can flip that around and say, well, you know, just about everybody in the Giants lineup sits maybe once or twice a week, but also, you know, that maybe, maybe it's still more playing time that he would have gotten with the Mets. So uh it might be just enough, especially if the power does turn out, for him to be able to contribute something in some deeper mixed leagues. couple of questions here from Star Platinum. What about Luke Williams in Miami and Bubba Thompson in Texas? I mean, you're looking for cheap speed. Bubba Thompson was running a ton at AAA. Cole Calhoun's on the IL right now, so they are down one of their high-volume outfielders. I could see Thompson getting a lot of opportunities here in the short term. He's exactly the kind of player the Rangers should be giving playing time to right now. Obviously, they've brought in some, some pretty interesting long-term bats by signing Seager and signing Marcus Simeon back during the winter, but there's still a few unsettled spots on the roster and figuring out if Thompson can handle one of those spots is really important. So at least in 15-team mixed leagues, I'm interested in probably a watchless guy for more shallow leagues given our, our constant need for speed this season. I'm curious what you make of Luke Williams though, Al. Do you see anything there beyond mono leagues? Probably not just because of playing time, but he has been a, a surprise in terms of stolen bases. I think he had a, a three-steal game uh, within the last couple of days. That definitely has, has padded the total. But uh, the Marlins traditionally have been a, a team that's not afraid to run. I could see Williams piling up some more. Kind of almost like the John Birdie role before the season, where he was playing maybe three, four times a week, but still really useful in stolen bases. So I think maybe that is the ceiling for Williams over the next couple of months. Yeah, I think the the concern I would have for Luke Williams, short-term and long-term, is that he does not make a lot of hard contact. So obviously that becomes the issue if just sticking in the lineup. Like, are, are you hitting the ball enough to be more than a part-time player? But for deep leagues, especially cheap bags, I think you can keep providing that. Maybe a good utility player in the long run for the Marlins, especially if they can get that K rate to come down. You have to hit the ball harder if you're going to strike out as much as Luke Williams does to this point in his big league career. Disco Dave wants to know, is Sean Murphy a good add at utility in a 12-team league? Other options are Josh Donaldson and Trent Grisham. 
Not at utility. No, I mean, I would like to have Murphy as a catcher and perhaps if that's a way to get him as a little bit of catching depth on your roster, uh, that that's fine. But I, I really, I like what Grisham has done uh, in recent weeks. And then the fact that he's just, you know, above him and below him uh, has, you know, all these hitters who are going to be getting on base and provide him with all kinds of uh, run production opportunities out of these three. I actually, I wouldn't have said this a couple weeks ago, but I actually would prefer Grisham. I think the key difference for me is the handful of stolen bases that Grisham should provide. I think you're right to point out that he's been a lot better the last six-ish weeks or so compared to what he was for the first two months of the season. I, I actually am okay with using Sean Murphy as a UT option if you need the cheap power, though, because he hits right in the heart of the Oakland lineup. The run production's been there all season. Um, I would prioritize Grisham first if it's a typical Roto League, though. If it's a points league, maybe it actually is a bit of a wash. Interesting that Donaldson, just the clear number three, though, for both of us, I think, at this point of the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to some pitching. Lance McCullers actually getting close to a return for the Astros. He is lined up for one more rehab start. That is going to be Sunday at AAA. The good news, Al, he's already pitching deep enough in those starts in terms of pitch count to where I don't think he's going to have any sort of in-start workload restrictions once he comes back. And if the current schedule holds, McCullers' 2022 debut would come against the A's. Well, that's a really nice landing spot. Um, so, yeah, he's 12-team relevant. It might be another case of somebody where I would want to, if I could bench him the first week around, see how he does, uh, even against the A's. It would depend what your options are. It's kind of hard to pass that up, but uh, it's not a gimme. Uh, I would still want to see how he does that that first start out. But, uh, you know, he's somebody who's been relevant in, in shallower leagues before and just a question of whether or not he's really all the way back when he when he first comes back yeah in leagues where McCullers is available might be the highest ceiling pitcher you're going to find in the wire Walker Bueller of course could be back later this month so I guess there's a, a case to be made for him as well but McCullers much closer to helping you out if you're in need of high quality innings from a, a bulk starter Let's talk about Cole Reagans for a moment. Getting an opportunity with the Rangers does have a very difficult test coming already this week. He'll face the Astros on the road in Houston. So if you're thinking about Reagans in a mixed league, it's probably more of an add and stash situation because he'll have a two-start week the following week, which will include the A's at home and then eventually the Twins on the road. But looking at the profile, what's your interest level in Cole Reagans this week? 
I just picked them up in ale only, so I'm definitely good with that. Um, that's not a really a, a super high bar or a big endorsement uh, to say that because I just you know he figures to have this rotation spot for a while. Uh, John Gray's gonna gonna be out for a while, but um, yeah, not not a really a super impressive uh, major league debut for Reagan's. The the minor league numbers were solid, not outstanding, but solid. So I think that this is kind of a nice opportunity to see how he does with this tough matchup against Houston. Uh, a good opportunity to stash somebody in mono leagues, maybe very deep mixed leagues, see how he does uh, against a tough opponent. And if there's anything encouraging there, then you can give him a whirl with the two-start week. Yeah, at least a watch list sort of player if you don't have a spot to stash Cole Reagans right now. Good numbers in the minors, as Al said. Tucker Davidson getting a chance as a trade deadline acquisition of the Angels. Much better spot for him to be in in terms of starting opportunities post-trade team that doesn't have a very good track record developing pitching so we'll see if they're able to maximize the value of Davidson during his time there was putting up a nice season at AAA and I think he's pretty clearly in the rotation so long as he has innings left for the season so in what types of leagues are you picking up Tucker Davidson this weekend 15 teams for sure probably not anything shallower I my main concern with Davidson like you said he's Seems clearly to be in the Angels rotation. Could be really great for strikeouts. D- could maybe have a little bit of a home run problem, but that's that's my biggest concern. Yeah, definitely a little worried about that. But some nice matchups in the AL West for the most part. And now that he seems to be honing in on a spot, I believe the start this upcoming week will be a Sunday start against the Twins at home. The following week, he would line up for a road start against the Tigers. So if you're just looking a little further down the road, Things look really good schedule-wise. Uh, we talked about Jansen Junk last week, by the way, and if you're not scared away by what just happened to him this week against the A's, he gets them again next week. So worth mentioning again, if you're looking for some really cheap innings that you're trying to stream, maybe maybe Jansen Junk can help you. I think there might be some better options, though, that we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes. Uh, J.P. Sears, we don't have a confirmation, at least as of now on Friday afternoon, but he seems pretty likely to join the Oakland rotation sooner rather than later after being part of that Frankie Montas trade. That would be my expectation, and the A's do have some other options at AAA they could go to, so it's not a gimme, but I think he's a must-add in, in mono leagues if he is still out there. And otherwise, I would say watch list with somebody with potential to help in 15-teamers if he does get the call soon. Yeah, I think the the difference right now is we're seeing a guy in in Arizona getting an opportunity, Tommy Henry, who I I don't think has like a, a lot more ceiling than someone like Sears. He's just the player you'd probably want to pick up first if you're chasing innings. It's a two start week for him. Oakland, no, it's a two start week against the uh, the Pirates and the Rockies. So. We run into this problem a lot, Al, where the at Colorado becomes part of the equation for a two-star week. Is that bad enough to eliminate a good first start for someone like Tommy Henry, who's unproven at the big league level? It probably should be, <laughs> and I hate to say it, but uh, you know what? I, I was looking at the, um, uh, the the matchup guide on on Fangraphs and saw that first Pittsburgh start, and I basically was you know, looking for a reason. To, to pick up Henry and I was really encouraged and then saw that yeah he gets that second start in Colorado that yeah that that's that should be enough to to stash him this week at least you get the opportunity to see how he does one one thing I'm hopeful for on Sunday when we're all making our bids is that people who maybe are less familiar with Henry will just look at the season to date stats 
and either pass on him or just make a small bid. Uh, but he really turned it on um, in like the middle portion of the season. His last 11 starts with Reno, uh, a 364 ERA, a 114 whip, almost a strikeout per inning, 60, 66 Ks and 66 and two thirds, not too many walks, 15 walks. Um, so, you know, that, that, if that played in the PCL, that's, you know, something similar to that would, would play for Arizona. Yeah. I'm really surprised that uh, you look at a guy like that and you're, I don't know. I'm surprised the results haven't been better. Uh, Reno, I mean, Reno's a really tough place to pitch. But I'm looking at the lower levels. Double A, 135 Ks and 115 and two-thirds innings, but a 521 ERA and a 147 whip with that kind of strikeout rate just doesn't seem to make sense. So definitely someone I want to get a better look at against top-level competition to figure out what he really brings to the table. We've talked about Graham Ashcraft on a few shows now, going back maybe a month or so, and he's Clearly in the Reds' rotation for the foreseeable future. Of course, two starters moved. Luis Castillo, Tyler Malley gone. It's a two-start week this week for Graham Ashcraft. So in places where he wasn't previously added, that might be enough to put him on rosters. It's at the Mets, which might scare some people away, or at least temper the bidding somewhat before a turn at home against the Cubs. You know, what kinds of leagues are you possibly picking up Graham Ashcraft this weekend? I would consider him in 12-teamers. Uh, not a must-add there, but... Uh, especially points league where you're sizing yourself up against your, your competitor for the coming week. Maybe you're a little bit worried about falling short on starts. And I don't think that that's a really bad two step. I think the, the Mets may be not as scary as some might think and the Cubs may be a little, a little tougher of an opponent uh, even after the deadline than, than some might give them credit for, but Ashcraft just, you know, keeps, keeps the ball in the park, keeps it on the ground. And is the, if it, doesn't go badly for him can be the sort of pitcher who can just mow through lineups and, and go deep into the game and be really, uh, really rack up a lot of points in, in those kinds of formats. Um, so yeah, I, I like him as a two-star. He's, he's going to be part of the, you know, comparison that I'll make, uh, when I'm making bids on Sunday. Yeah, I think he'll be a little higher up on my list, especially in 15 team mixed leagues this weekend. Uh, Cutter Crawford, who I think is already rostered in a lot of 15 teamers, probably has a case to be rostered in 12 teamers based on performance. And you think about the injuries in this Boston rotation. Brian Bayo just got hurt this week. I think there's a path for Crawford to stay in the rotation for the rest of the season. I think so too, which is just odd DVR when I think back maybe a month or so, maybe a little bit longer ago when we were looking at Bayo, hoping he would come up, uh, Winkowski just being on the verge of, of being called up, uh, Connor Siebold, and, and seeing Crawford just being way down the organizational depth chart. And uh, yeah, like you said, Bayo's injured, hadn't been that effective. Winkowski hasn't really been that effective. There have been all these injuries. So I think even with Waka uh, possibly on the verge of coming back, I think that's a spot that you're right. I think it's it's a spot that Crawford keeps and he's been sensational now for six starts running. So uh, I, I think you're right. I think it's time to look at him in 12 teamers. Looking at some more schedule dependent pitchers, Justin Steele, more schedule dependent in shadow leagues in this case, because I think in deeper leagues, he's been rostered for a little while now. Pitched well again, at least until we started recording against the Marlins in a matinee. If you go back his last nine starts entering Friday, Justin Steele had a 265 ERA, 41 Ks in 51 innings. So good ratios, decent strikeout rate. The volume sort of helps offset the rate being a tick low. Uh, what are you doing with Justin Steele in shadow leagues? Is he streamable in a home matchup against the Nationals this week? 
Oh, he definitely is. And especially in head to head points leagues with RP slots, he's got that dual, uh, that, that dual eligibility. So uh, I, I like the matchup. Uh, I just like the overall profile because like you said, a decent strikeout rate combined with a really good ground ball rate. So um, one way or another, he can uh, prevent runs and uh, go deep enough into games to help you. One other uh, pretty interesting schedule-related question. Yusei Kikuchi has a two-start week. There are some 12-team leagues where he's available, maybe a handful of 15s as well. At Baltimore, home against Cleveland, it's been a, a more disappointing than encouraging season from Kikuchi to this point. But do you look at Yusei Kikuchi and see a better finish to the season? Is there anything in recent starts that gives you optimism about him? And do you want to take the chance on him in a two-start week? I, I don't at this point. So uh, maybe he's somebody that you could stash and see how he does with the with the two-start week. But I haven't seen enough from Kikuchi to, to, to trust him in that situation uh, because it could backfire really badly. Disco Dave's got a question. In what order should I stream Nathan Evaldi, Spencer Watkins, and I think that's Mitch Keller, but I guess it could be Brad Keller as well. I, I think Evaldi's still better than a streamer i know it's a tough matchup this week home against the yankees the following week he's at pittsburgh so if there's a shadow league where he gets dropped because of his tough matchup against the yankees just pounce for that next one against pittsburgh but watkins versus mitch keller or versus brad keller either way is kind of a, a tough call for those next spots yeah i well i would go with either keller in the middle uh, so I would go Evaldi first. I will say a few weeks back, I made a, an argument in writing so people can actually see this, <laughs> that Evaldi that, uh, was droppable uh, in 12 teamers because of all the home runs. So I do I do consider Evaldi a streamer uh, and, and somebody that's not necessarily worth uh, keeping on your bench. But in this company, yeah, even if it's Mitch Keller, who I prefer over Brad, uh, I would rather rather go with Evaldi. So I like Ivaldi the most. I like Watkins better than both Kellers. I think Spencer Watkins is quietly turning into a pretty interesting pitcher for the Orioles. You look at his last six starts now, it's a 26 to 5 strikeout to walk ratio in 34 innings, ERA below two, whip of 106. It's a low strikeout rate, but there's bulk. Bulk innings are hard to find. You can give bulk innings and maybe help ratios this time of year. That can play. So it seems like his floor might even be a little more steady than both Kellers at this point. Yeah, well, and I made a, a comment a couple of pitchers back about in, in points leagues and uh, if a pitcher could be efficient uh, and going deep. That That's the way that Watkins is profiling. So I certainly like him better in a points format than I do for Roto, uh, you know, obviously because of the strikeouts, as you mentioned. But so, yeah, I, maybe it's a little bit of a closer call. Uh, in points leagues, but certainly for Roto, I'll, I would go with the Kellers. And in uh, this particular instance, it is Mitch Keller, who also pitching better recently. If you take a look, you know, last five starts now, 261 ERA, 116 whip, 28 Ks against six walks and 31 innings for Mitch Keller during that span. So I think he is becoming a bit more usable in some mid-sized mixed leagues than he was earlier on this season. Thanks a lot for that question, Disco Dave. Let's move over to Hunter Gaddis. There's a new name kind of entering the mix among pitchers. Aaron Savale still hurt for the Guardians, and it looks like Hunter Gaddis is the next call up to get an opportunity. He is going to debut on Friday, so we'll get a chance to see him at the big league level before we get our bids in. But Hunter Gaddis had a 102 to 26 strikeout to walk ratio in 76 innings at Double A Akron 
this season. This is mostly just me being comfortable trusting the Guardians with pitching more than anything else. You see those kinds of results. You think about the organization he's coming from. Gaddis could be in a really nice position to succeed. Also, he's got a matchup against the Tigers next week if he sticks in this rotation. That's probably, to me, the most interesting thing or the best reason to maybe pick up Gaddis uh, this week is because of that matchup. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you were coming in with um, you know much more mediocre numbers, then maybe I wouldn't have as much trust against the Tigers. But yeah, the really great, great minor league numbers. Seems to be a, an extreme fly ball pitcher. So with uh, if it were a, a tougher matchup coming up, uh, I, I might be a little bit more worried. But yeah, there's there's a lot working in uh, in his favor, uh, at least for this week as the streamer. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So I think the the bullpen situation around the league is a little more interesting today than it has been in a while. And one spot where I didn't expect to see change was in Texas. Jonathan Hernandez looks like he's emerging to maybe be the favorite to get saves for the Rangers. Joe Barlow still on the IL. Brett Martin for a little while looked like he might be that guy. But Hernandez, if you remember, I think it was 2020, pitched really well and has had some injuries that have slowed him down. But I think this could actually be a legitimate threat to Barlow in the long run. If, if Hernandez continues to pitch well, I think he's got the stuff to just be the guy in Texas. Yeah, I agree. I don't see why he wouldn't. I mean, if he if he does well with it, why why mess with that? Especially since Barlow had enough problems to be removed from the, the role in the first place. So he of of the closer candidates that are emerging because of uh, the, the deadline and, and players moving, he actually seems to have probably the best shot at having saves all to himself in his bullpen. So uh, probably is going to be my first bid uh, this weekend with the others falling in line as, as contingents. Yeah, it might be a case where you can even push more like a 5% bid in on Hernandez. A lot of relievers we've been bidding on the last month or two are not even close to that kind of bid level. So I'm kind of exciting that a team that will probably be trying to win games, not that every team's not trying, but the it means something to the Rangers to finish the final two months of the season above 500. I, I think they're the kind of team that just can be a bit scrappy and, and, and cause problems for the contenders the rest of the way. So there might be a few more save opportunities in Texas than there are in some of these other situations that we're going to talk about. Uh, but one of the other teams that's clearly trying to learn how to win, if that's actually a thing, uh, is Baltimore. It just looks like they're going to use more of a committee. You know, Felix Bautista, Dylan Tate, uh, CNL Perez. It's probably some combination of those three. We've talked about Bautista having just electric stuff. Do you think there's one of these relievers who will get 
a larger share of the saves than the others to the point of really trusting them in even a shallow mixed league situation if you're chasing saves. Of of those that you mentioned, I would uh, say that Batista does seem like the one most likely to to run away with the with the job because of the stuff, because of the the peripherals, and also the fact that on Wednesday the Orioles had a uh, a four run lead in the ninth uh, against the Rangers, and so it's not a safe situation. But you know, three runs is sort of an arbitrary thing. So when you see a four run lead and and you want to nail that down, you you bring in ostensibly a pitcher that could be your closer. And in that case, it was Batista. So uh, I, that doesn't necessarily mean that next time out, it will, won't be Tate or, or somebody else, but at least, uh, you know, he seems to be in that, that mix for sure. What are you doing with the angels? We talked about them a bit yesterday. Are they a committee? Do they have one person who could emerge as the main option? We didn't talk about Jose Quijada as a candidate, but he's He's definitely in the mix. It's just the question whether or not he has to share if he's even going to get some saves at all. I, yeah, I have no idea which way the situation is going to go, but my my gut feeling on it is that because nobody really does stand out as an as an obvious closer, that even if let's say it is Quijada who gets the first several opportunities, I don't trust him to be consistent enough to not eventually let somebody uh, in, in the door. So uh, it's, it's just a situation I'm avoid I'm avoiding because even if we could pinpoint one, one reliever there, uh, I don't, I don't really trust them that much. And there are a number of others, some of who we talked about, some of who we may still get to that. Uh, I think just profile better. Yeah. I think Oakland's one of those committees right now where I don't see a whole lot to be excited about. If you're in a keeper league, obviously you can, throw darts accordingly, but it looks like Zach Jackson has a role. Danny Jimenez is back from the IL. AJ Puck had a one-out save this week, cleaning up after Jackson couldn't finish off an opportunity. Are you chasing anyone in Oakland right now for saves? I'm not, but part of the reason for that answer is that I picked up Jimenez in a bunch of leagues when he was closing earlier in the season, and I've just held on to him in most of those leagues. So, um, that's just the kind of the bet that I've made and I'm stubbornly, stubbornly sticking with it because he didn't really do anything that made me think that he was going to lose that job. And there's nothing that the others in that bullpen have done to make me think that Jimenez is going to lose that job. Yeah. I think if you're looking for another, at least temporary reliever who could have a role to himself, it's probably Will Crow in Pittsburgh because David Bednar is on the IL right now with a back injury. So if you were saying, who would you put behind Jonathan Hernandez among widely available relievers? I think Crow is my pick. I mean, we're assuming most people out there are playing in a league where Devin Williams isn't available. Devin Williams would far and away be the very best reliever to go pick up in most cases. But uh, how does Crow stack up to the committee options for you? Yeah, I would say second or maybe third. Um, just Rowan Wick, I think, is high up there in terms of probability of getting a good number of opportunities with Crow. We don't know how long this is going to last. So that's probably the biggest reason why I would certainly put him behind Hernandez and, and maybe behind Wick as well. Yeah. Wick is the other interesting name because of the Cubs trading so many relievers at the deadline. We talked about him a bit on the Thursday show. It's also a unique week because if you play in a mono league, this is really the last great opportunity to find big-time talent coming over. Let's talk about some of the crossover players before we go. The AL crossovers, if you're in an AL-only league, I, I think this is a pretty easy list to order for the most part. 
you kind of have Luis Castillo, if he wasn't already part of last weekend's proceedings as the best available pitcher. Tyler Malley, though, ends up being a pretty good fallback option. So if you either missed out on Castillo already, or if your league runs everyone from the deadline sort of together, and they're both out there, and you don't have enough money to go get Castillo, I think Malley getting out of Great American Ballpark could have a pretty big impact in the Twins' rotation over the course of the final two months. Yeah, now they're definitely the the class of this uh, crossover group, and uh, yeah, Malley should get a just a huge bump just from getting out of Great American Ballpark, much more so than Castillo, who uh, isn't as prone to the home run. The three big bats going to the AL, Tommy Pham, Eric Hosmer, and David Peralta. That was the order, I believe, that I saw in my AL-only league that runs pickups overnight Thursday into Friday. Hosmer may have gone for more than Pham. That didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I think because Tommy Pham can do a little bit of everything, he makes sense to me as the best of these AL bats. Are you trying to, in a situation where you might have a lot of fab left, are you trying to get two players out of this group? out of this big four, big five, if possible? Or are you just pushing most of your chips in to get the best available option in your league? Because sometimes you can get a little too cute with the bidding and end up getting only your fourth or fifth choice instead of getting you know the second or third choice and the fourth or fifth choice. Again, you got to read the room really carefully, look at other teams' budgets. But um, do you see a path to get multiple impact players here? I, you know, if you've been really thrifty, uh, there could be, but I think, you know, given that I tend not, not to be all that thrifty, uh, I would go all in on one of the pitchers because I don't think that Fam Hosmer or Peralta are necessarily more impactful than somebody who maybe just could emerge over the last couple of months. Whereas Castillo and Mali, I mean, those are just players that there, there's nobody on the horizon that is likely to come even close to the kind of impact that they could have. So I would be happy really happy to just go all in and get either one of those pitchers and if you're looking for much cheaper players to possibly add mitch white going to toronto i think is kind of an interesting cheap stash minimum bid near min bid to see what happens with his role in the next few weeks and then harrison bader he's hurt right now but i think you can get him cheap stash him away and possibly get someone that's playing in a good lineup in a more hitter friendly environment and in a new organization where perhaps they can unlock a bit more from his bat during the final portion of the season the nl crossovers uh, slightly less interesting at the very top but still two good pitchers to choose from if you have your choice between noah Syndergaard and jordan montgomery for the rest of the season al who do you prefer i prefer montgomery and I'm still, I know this is not fantasy relevant, but I'm still scratching my head over why the Yankees uh, <laughs> made that trade. Uh, but just, yeah, for fantasy purposes, uh, I, I trust Montgomery's consistency more. I think the park and the defense behind him also are things that soften things quite a bit. The bids would be very close to even for me between the two. Whatever whatever gap that could favor Cindergard from a pure talent perspective is pretty small. And then I think that's offset probably by those other factors. Uh, Brandon Marsh going into Philadelphia. Are you going to aggressively go after him in NL only leagues? I mean, it's a pretty clear path for him to be the everyday guy. The problem is that he's just, he's not making as much contact as we'd like and probably not getting to that power as quickly as we'd hoped. Yeah, no, not, not too aggressively. Um, Yeah, I, I would put him pretty much, I tell you what, if you put him in that cohort that crossed over to the AL, I would probably put him at the bottom. So 
as much as I would not be prioritizing getting Fam Hosmer or, or Peralta, would be even less so for Brandon Marsh. Yeah, we might see more of a, a long-term payoff there, getting into a new organization and getting into Citizens Bank Ballpark for his home park. Uh, if you're in a keeper league, an NL-only keeper league, I do think Patrick Davitt made a good case for Rysel Iglesias to be the closer in Atlanta starting next season with Kenley Jansen being there on a one-year deal. So think about that if you're playing in an NL-only keeper league. I don't know outside of saves and holds leagues if you want to do a whole lot bid-wise with him this weekend in most circumstances. And then there's Joey Gallo. Just a general question about Joey Gallo. It's not necessarily limited only to crossovers. How much are you changing your interest level in him, given that he's getting a fresh start with the Dodgers of all teams? Just slightly, just because uh, it, it just to me seems so improbable that this is you know the, the beginning of the end for him, was, which is what it looked like with the Yankees. Uh, I, I do worry a little bit about the long-term playing time situation for him uh, when you've got the full complement there if, if he's going to be an everyday player. But I think there's still a lot of upside with Gallo, and I definitely would be more interested in him than, than Marsh. Your depth options going over to the NL include uh, Jake Odorizzi, who could end up making a few starts for Atlanta because they're going to try and find a way to limit the innings of some of their younger starters in that rotation, most specifically Spencer Strider. You want Strider to be as rested and effective as he can possibly be come playoff time, so Odorizzi kind of benefits from that. Robbie Grossman maybe getting some depth playing time in Atlanta. And then Emmanuel Rivera. I didn't think a lot about that trade at the time that it happened. Luke Weaver goes back to Kansas City. So I guess you could throw Luke Weaver in as a min bid on the AL side if you think the Royals can fix him and give him a chance in their rotation. But Rivera might end up finding a decent amount of playing time in Arizona because things are just a little bit less crowded there in that position player group. Yeah, he's intriguing. I'd say out of this this group uh, that you mentioned is uh, cheaper options. He's the one who I think could have the the most upside and also just the the most impact over the the entire remainder of the season because like you said Odorizzi not clear if he's going to have the same role uh throughout uh, August and September um but yeah it'd be interesting to see if Rivera can provide a little bit of power uh, as uh, what I would assume would be an everyday or close to everyday player for the for the Diamondbacks a lot of moving parts this weekend should be a really fun week in fab hopefully you've still got some money left in the fab bank to spend on Twitter, you can find Al at AlMelkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one. TheAthletic.com slash Fantasy Baseball Podcast gets you in the door for $1 a month for the first six months. With that, you can read Al's waiver column each and every weekend, plus all the other great coverage we have for all the different sports that we cover here at The Athletic. That's going to do it for The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Have a great weekend. We are back with you on Tuesday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.